Wonderful. Turn in your Bibles to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll get there in just a second. I told you a couple weeks ago that uh, I was going to do an overview on some aspects of spiritual warfare, and then we would dig deeper in a few weeks, and then I kind of added more overview last week. So, but we are going to dig a little bit deeper today in, in one area. And so, some of you, I'm well aware that you would like to just jump to the conclusion and get to the ministry. And some of you need to know the process to get there. Now, if it were only about ministry, we would, could just jump to the conclusion. But because it's also about equipping, you need to know not only how to receive ministry from God, but how to lead others to the same place. So, you're going to have to sit through this. When it, get, when it gets deep, uh, if you need to check your Facebook or something, I'll tell you when, and then I'll get your attention back at, at, the, at the end part, okay? So uh, it's okay if, you, if it's too, too much for you. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10. Before I say that, uh, if, you, if you get a chance, listen to the last two weeks, because I won't have time to overview or, or review everything. But we're talking about different aspects of spiritual warfare. God's raising up a kingdom of priests. And in doing that, there is an opposition of the enemy. And so we are actually partnering with him to extend his kingdom in the face of opposition. Calling people out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so there's opposition. There's opposition at different levels. There's principalities and powers we'll talk about. There's people who are demonized or oppressed by the devil. And then there is a foundation of truth that affects our culture. And uh, often they're all related, uh, but we need to know what we're dealing with so we know how to deal with it. Uh, for instance, we don't deal with principalities the same way we deal with people who are demonized. Okay? Someone said... Uh, that we're actually dealing personally with sin, self, and Satan. You get delivered from the devil. You get disciplined from self. You never get delivered from self. Wouldn't that be great? We just, okay, I just want deliverance. God, just take this away from me. And he says, no, I'm going to actually discipline you through that. Okay, there's something of, you know, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. That's not one of the most popular ones. We like love, <laughs> joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Forget that last one, self-control. Okay, that's the fruit of the Spirit. We don't get delivered from self. So, I'm getting sidetracked. Sorry. I, I'm really trying hard not to get sidetracked because there's so many areas we could go deeper on. And I want to just focus on one today. And so... If I get sidetracked, Tim will, will straighten me out. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. And though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. We still live in the flesh. Even though we're born again, we still live in this physical body. Our physical body is how we interact with the world around us. Our soul 
is our mind, will, and emotions, and our spirit is how we interact with God. And if we have things in the right order, our spirit leads our soul and our, and our body. But if we don't have things in the right order, our body leads, our flesh leads according to the interaction with the world. Or our soul leads, our emotions, that's what the world teaches us. Uh, your emotions are intended to follow your will and follow your spirit. Kind of like a trailer follows a car. I saw a guy the other day driving down the, uh, the freeway, and I just passed a guy who was trying to back a trailer into his driveway, and he did a really good job. I thought, how can you never see a uh, car going down the freeway backwards with the trailer leading? But see, your will is like the car, and your emotions are like the trailer. If the trailer follows the car, it goes well. If your emotions follow your will, and your will is submitted to your spirit, you go well. But if you get it backwards, you end up crashing. And I'm getting sidetracked. <laughs> For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly, but mighty in God... For pulling down strongholds, that word means fortresses or castles. You ever see a castle and, and they have the wall, but inside they have the stronghold, which is where they re would retreat to. It was the most fortified place. Casting down arguments, that word is, literally means reasoning or thoughts. And every high thing, some would say that means pride, but it also means lofty attitude or barrier against the knowledge of God or knowing God, bringing every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. So strongholds are beliefs or reasoning that become barriers to knowing God. We have certain things, certain misrepresentations of God. We've been taught, you were being taught about God long before you were able to read the Bible. When I was a little kid, I went to school when I was five, and my mom told me, when you go to school, I won't see you, but God sees you. <laughs> now, what happened when I misbehaved and she saw me is I got disciplined. My parents still believed in spanking, and I got spanked. And so what that put in my little five-year-old mind was that if I get out of line, God's going to spank me. How many of us carry that, those kind of ideas? We do the wrong thing. If something bad happens to us, it's because it's God spanking us and we've done something wrong. Have a flat on the freeway. Oh, what did I do? Why do I deserve this? We have wrong concepts. Strongholds are belief or reasoning that become fixed in our thinking and our barriers to knowing God. question is that you need to understand that these strongholds are spiritual and not just natural. And here's where we're going to go deeper for a few minutes. I can give you about 15 minutes if you need to check your Facebook. Now's the time. Daniel chapter 20, chapter 10, verse 20. Some of you are quick enough to realize there was no 20 chapters in Daniel. Right, Tim? He knew that. 
The story here is that, that Daniel was seeking God and he began to fast. And he fasted three weeks. And angel appeared to him and basically said, from the first day that you began fasting, I was sent with a message for you, but I've been withstood by this principality of Persia, the prince of Persia. And it goes through this whole thing, and I won't, won't get into it because I just want to touch a couple things. He said do you, in verse 20, do you know why I've come to you? Basically, he's already told them, and now I must return and fight with the prince of Persia, and when I have gone forth, indeed the prince of Greece will come. Okay, these are not just natural leaders. These are spiritual principalities. Ephesians uh, 6, we read last week or the week before 12, says we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. So these are not just a king. This is actually a spiritual principality that is set against the kingdom of God. They're actually battling with the angel that God has sent. You still with me? Okay. How's the Facebook? This is the only place that I can see in the Bible where these principalities are actually named. I think they're key. I think the prince of Persia, or principality of Persia, is actually the spirit of religion. Now I'm going to tell you why I think that, okay? And then if you agree with me or not, that doesn't matter. But Israel was captive for a 70-year period, from 600 to 530 B.C., about that. It's questionable. It could be... 10 years either way, 20 years either way. It depends on scholars. But in that time frame, every religion of the world either began or was written down. Is that just a coincidence? See, Buddha lived from 563 to 480 B.C. Confucius from 551 to 479. Shintoism, which existed prior to that, which is a Japanese religion, was actually a whole bunch of writings that were unified, and it became a unified religion, the scholars will tell you, in that time frame. Hinduism, which also existed previous as a bunch of different thoughts, the Vedas were written from uh, about 1200 to 100 B.C., Bhagavad Gita in this, the 5th century, and that's when Hinduism began to crystallize. It was codified as a religion. Big exception is Islam which came about 1,200 years later, but from the same area. Now, whether you actually agree with that or not doesn't matter. John 8, 44 says this. Jesus, talking to the religious rulers, says, You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. He wasn't actually saying that they were the spawn of Satan. He was actually saying religion is birthed by the devil. Religion is a counterfeit of what God is doing. Religion basically is something that says, I can make myself righteous or holy on my own. I have enough willpower. I can change my life. The message of the gospel is that 
we can't change our lives. Jesus came to redeem us. He didn't come to make us better. He came to resurrect us from death. Okay, he wasn't just an add-on, optional extra that would make our life nicer. Religion says I can do it on my own. I can find God on my own. I can make myself holy. I can make myself righteous. I can become a holy man if I'm disciplined enough. But the reality is there's none holy. The Bible says no, not one, except the blood of Jesus is applied to us. And our sin is removed and we're redeemed. But it says the prince of Greece will come. I actually think the principality of Greece is philosophy. Basic idea is that I can know truth through human reasoning. I don't need God. Jesus said I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Philosophy says I can figure it out by myself. I can know truth through human reasoning. My brain is good enough that I don't actually need Jesus. Sound like the devil? We can do it on our own. But again, you don't have to agree with me about those principalities. That's not the issue I'm trying to get to. I'm getting there slowly. Colossians chapter 2 says, Beware, lest anyone cheat you. Word literally means plunder you or take you captive through philosophy and empty deceit. According to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. So I think we have two principalities who have an influence on the world, the things that are contrary to the kingdom. Just hang with me for a few minutes. It'll get better, I promise, I hope. I shouldn't promise what I can't deliver, huh? <laughs> so let's look at history real quick. I mentioned this last week, but through as the, the church grew, the authority moved from the Word of God to the church. The Pope was considered to be actually above the Bible, and nobody else could read the Bible except the, uh, the priests, and that led to an abuse Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. The Dark Ages, the, the Inquisition we talked about last week. And from about 1100 to 1500 around there, there was a, a breaking away from that abusive authority. In the north of England, north of England, north of Europe, which included England, was the Reformation. The Reformation was a breaking away from the abusive authority of the church back to the authority of the Word of God. But in the south of Europe, there was the Renaissance. Renaissance. How do you say it here? Renaissance? Okay. You guys know what I mean. Renaissance was a breaking away from the authority of the church to a return to pre-Christian Greek philosophy to that philosophy of Plato and Aristotle, Neoplatonism. Aristotle believed that only what is natural is real. 
okay? Only the stuff you can touch, taste, see, feel, smell. Only those things are, are real, okay? That led to a, a, a cultural view, which is we, we would call a scientific worldview. The official term is Aristotelian empiricism. I only want to say that to impress you with my... <laughs> you don't really need to, to worry about that. But it's a scientific worldview. It's basically that only what is natural is real. You still with me? Okay? That has led to a whole lot of different things. Uh... There's a whole lot of consequences of that, which we don't have time to get into all of them. If you think about that, you'll realize there's a number of things. I want to focus on one particular thing. That scientific worldview led to Charles Darwin to his theory of natural selection. Now, you have to understand, because of that scientific worldview, Darwin's presupposition that's what you start with before you get into the argument. His presupposition was that there was nothing supernatural. Therefore, there's no God. There can't be creation because that's supernatural. We're starting with a natural perspective. So his theory of natural selection was given those parameters. How do we make this creation fit? The problem wasn't his argument. The problem was where he started. He started with an excluding of anything supernatural. The problem with that is it leads to no inherent value for any single human being. There's the evolution of the species, but any individual is just part of that process. Just a collection of chemicals. Just part of the ongoing evolution. He talked about the survival of the fittest. So there, he made different categories. Those who are stronger and, and, and fitter, whatever fit was, had some sort of priority over just normal. Now think about that for a second. It basically took away the value of every single human being. Why can we kill unborn children? Natural consequence of a philosophy that says people aren't valuable. Why in this day and age do we have slavery and sex trafficking? It's a natural consequence of a philosophy that is set against the kingdom of God that is backed by a demonic stronghold to stop the kingdom and destroy the very people that God wants to release as ministers. Happened a couple times in history. I'm going to get sidetracked here for just 30 seconds. No, a minute. God's going to raise up a deliverer for Israel when they're captive in Egypt. They've been there for 400 years. He's going to raise up a deliverer. He's got a plan. What happens? 
Somehow the devil becomes aware of the plan. So what did they do? They took every male child and they either had to be killed or, so you, so you know the story of Moses. His mother, instead of killing him, hid him in a basket in the, the river and it was the, the daughter of Pharaoh who saw him, took him as her own. He was raised. God had a plan anyway. But the devil's attempt was to try and destroy a, a whole group of people from which this deliverer would come. Then you get Jesus comes, and what happened? He's born, and Herod finds out about it. So what does he do? He kills every male child in Bethlehem. So we live in this day and age, and we're killing millions of unborn it's not just an individual that God's raising up. It's a whole generation that he's raising up. And there's a ploy of the enemy. Hang with me. Spiritual principality behind this thinking that's opposed to the kingdom. So, where does value come from? In Greece which Greek philosophy became the foundation of Western culture it's permeated into the culture we live in. In Greece, they actually believed that there were this, the gods had relationships with people and made kind of superhumans, Hercules and Aphrodite and all these. And so these superhumans became the standard. And so value of every individual was how close you are to the standard of perfection. So it comes down to Athletic ability, hence the Olympics. Beauty and accomplishment or performance. Now, that doesn't affect our culture. How do we determine value? By how much we pay people. We pay athletes huge amounts of money. I had a friend a number of years ago who played for the Los Angeles Lakers and uh, made tons of bucks. And we were playing basketball with a bunch of pastors once. I was actually guarding this guy, which doesn't mean I could play basketball. It just means that he could beat me standing on one foot with a ha one hand tied behind his back. He was just very nice. But afterwards, we were talking about his role with the Lakers. And he said, guys, I play a game. For a living. I make a lot of money at it, but it's a game. What you do is important. You're talking about people's eternity. I play a game. Who, who remembers three years ago who won the, the NBA National Champ Championship? Who cares? It's a game. I was watching the uh, soccer A-League semifinal last night. My son, from, who's coming from Melbourne, is a, a fan of uh, Melbourne victory and so it was their team so I was watching and the emotion involved and the, the commitment and some guy scored an own goal right I mean literally 15 seconds left in the game victory is ahead two to one and in, within the last 15 seconds a guy kicks it and he tries to kick it away and he kicks it in his own goal and he just was crushed nobody would talk to him <laughs> but they play overtime 
So in the first overtime period, he breaks through two guys, runs half the length of the field, and scores a goal. And everyone goes crazy, and he is just in tears because he's redeemed himself. It's a game! It was made up! You still with me? I get excited. So unfortunately, what that led to was competition, comparison, and criticism. Most of us, our value has something to do with competition, comparison, and criticism. I was sharing at a church in Singapore a few years back. And uh, at the end, I was talking about this very thing, and at the end, had a ministry time, and then there was this guy who was over here, and he was in tears. He was sobbing, very kind of stayed, straight Singaporean gentleman, ran a business, and he was sobbing. And he, he went and he got his wife and his kids as they came in from, uh, from the end of the children's church. And uh, he was talking, and, and I mean, we're ministering, and, and he's in tears. And I finally went over and, and said to him, you know, what's happening? He said, uh, his whole growing up life, all he ever received from his dad was criticism. No matter what he did, it was never good enough. Now, his dad wanted him to be able to perform, which is where value came in our culture. But his way of getting that was just constantly criticizing everything he'd done. And in the midst of these tears sobbing, can't hardly talk. He says, I've become my dad. The very thing he hated, he was treating his wife and his kids like that. See, there's something in our culture. It's not natural. There is a demonic stronghold behind it. The result of that in Western culture is that virtually everybody is insecure or feels rejection. Because no matter what you do, it's not good enough. No matter how beautiful you are, you might not be as intelligent as someone else. No matter how athletic you are, you might not be as good looking. Nobody has it all, and so everyone ends up feeling insecure. Okay, just an aside real quick. Okay, I don't want to take away from where I'm going, but just an aside, look at people differently. Because almost without exception, why they do what they do is because they're insecure. Okay? But we need to look at ourselves. See, most people, the greatest unbelief in the body of Christ is not that God can't do something, but that God can't do it through me. I'm not good enough. Others are better able to be used by God. We would never say God can't do it. We'd basically just say God can't do it through me. Oh, yeah, he could use Tim. He could use Steve, but he can't use me. Why? Because of our basic insecurity 
and rejection. God's restoring a kingdom of priests, an army of ministers, and the devil has undermined the purpose of God by bringing insecurity in a whole culture. God can do anything, he just can't do it through me. Or if he does use me, that means I'm special. I'm better than everyone. I'm more spiritual, I'm more holy, I have more faith. I have, I, I'm in a different category. All of a sudden, I'm the fittest which takes me away from having no value to now I'm somebody important. And so we have this celebrity mentality, even within the church. And the reality is that we're touching God's glory. So, what do we do? All that was to get to here. So, if you're doing Facebook, now's the time to come back. It'd be tough to, uh, to be doing Facebook with all this yelling and screaming, huh? I get excited. What do we do? We go back to the truth. Hebrews 2.10 says, In bringing many sons to glory. Let's talk about Jesus. In bringing many sons to glory. It's talking about redeeming people from the lie of the enemy to the place of value and worth. That word glory is doxa. literally means worth or value or splendor. The word for glory in the Hebrew is kabod, which literally means weight. It means there's what makes someone weighty, what makes someone valuable, what makes someone worth something. It's not their performance, it's not their appearance, it's not their ability. It's the fact that we're made in God's image, and more than that, that he loves us. How do I know that? Turn with me to John 17. Verse 22, Jesus is praying. He says, in the glory which you gave me, I have given them. That they may be one just as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you've given me, for you have loved me before the foundation of the world. What is the glory that God gave Jesus? It was the fact that he loved him. What is the glory that Jesus has given us? Restoring us to relationship with God. We can be loved by God. That's our worth. That's our value. It's not anything we do. It's just the fact that we have relationship with him. The lie of the culture is that's not enough. You got to do something. You got to look somehow. You got to have certain ability. To, you have to accomplish something. 
and the few that do get all this recognition and approval, and the rest of us are left here being cannon fodder for evolution. When the truth is that God never intended you to be like anybody. There's no comparison. You have a fingerprint that is unique. In all of human history, there is no reason evolution can, can figure that out. You have a voice print that's unique. You have an iris print. God made you unique. Not to be conformed to some image, not to be like someone else, not to be compared, but it's your uniqueness that you're made in his image, created for intimate relationship with him. Nobody will ever have the relationship with God that you have because there's no other you, not only in this city, in this nation, in the world today, but in all of human history. All the 10 billion people who've lived on the planet, there's never been another you. I get excited, I'm sorry. So what do we do? One, we need to expose and reject the lie of the enemy. It's not natural. There is a demonic principality behind the philosophy that says you're only valuable because of your performance or your appearance or your abilities. And then, then we need to crush rejection and insecurity. God's raising up a kingdom of priests. He needs die. Because there's no one else who can be to him what you are. He needs Barb. We say, ah, now he can use Steve. He says, yes, I'm big enough. I can even use Steve. <laughs> but see, the whole focus of religion and philosophy is we get our eyes off of God and onto ourselves. And we say, God's not big enough to use me. The heavens and the highest heavens can't contain him. He can use a donkey. He can use you. How? In partnership with him. In intimate relationship led by the Spirit. That's what he's doing. Would you bow your head for a moment? I'm well aware that as I share this in all the passion that I share it, that there's probably some here who face rejection. Been bullied, been rejected, been said that you don't match up. Maybe you've had words spoken to you or, or over you. guy in Singapore, his dad said, you'll never amount to anything. Guy was, had a successful business and family, 
But see, it's the lie of the devil. Because no matter what you do, it's never good enough. There's some here. You've received those messages. And God just wants to set you free. And wash those away this morning. For the rest of us, maybe it hasn't been actual rejection, but there's been this underlying insecurity. I'm afraid to pray for someone who's sick because what if they don't get healed? People will look at me. Let me tell you right now, you can't heal anybody. So if it's only you, I guarantee you they won't get healed. It's God with you. But that underlying insecurity that permeates our being, God wants to set us free. Well, right now, we take authority over rejection. Those who faced rejection, who've been rejected, who have felt rejected, we just expose the lie of the devil, and we take authority over that now in Jesus' name. And we speak freedom in Jesus' name. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The love of God being poured in your heart right now. The love of God, perfect love that casts out fear, being poured in hearts right now. God intended you to be different from everyone else. How many people get made fun of because they're different? A lie of the devil. They're not tall enough. They're too tall. They're not slim enough. They're too slim. Well, right now we take authority over insecurity. That thing that permeates our culture and has put its tentacles around us that says that you can't use me. Lord, we just renounce that now and break it off. And say, God, just like Isaiah, here am I. Send me. Not because we're anything special, but because you're an incredibly awesome God. Lord, I know my shortcomings. I know my failings. I know where I haven't done the right thing. But I choose to fix my eyes on you, and you're bigger than my shortcomings. Father, even the things I think I have a strength in are so minuscule compared to you that they're not actually a strength to you. Father, we just break those in Jesus' name right now we speak freedom your desire is that your church is a place of freedom so that we can be equipped for the work of the ministry right now can we just stand
the Lord's prompt to be to give. I don't know if there's someone here that finds it very hard that they've had something spoken over them or rejection. I'd just like to share that I'm an identical twin and I was born with a hole in my heart and they didn't have scans in those days so they didn't know I was there. So when my sister Michelle was born, I was a big surprise to the family. But the joke was, I was the afterbirth. So of course I never felt like I was worth anything. But it's only through God's grace and his undying love for me that he made me feel worthy of who I am. I am not my sister. We may have the same DNA. I don't even know if we do. We're identical. We don't have the same fingerprints. We not, haven't got the same thoughts, the same minds. We have the same loving Father, but we are unique and different. And we have different gifts that the Lord has given us. And I just wanted to share if there's anyone here that thinks they're not worthy, no matter what, you are worthy because Jesus Christ died for you. And I just wanted to share that, that he took that pain that I had for years, that I was never good enough because Michelle was the baby and I was, what, you know? And that lasted right up until my probably 40s and 50s. And I just want to thank God so much that he's now let me know without any uncertain terms that I am his daughter. He planned me. He planned me and knew me before my mother had us. And my mother was so delighted with us, but it was always the family joke. And it's not a joke anymore because I know who I am in Christ. And I just encourage you to feel the same. Amen. Thank you. bow your head again just so you're not distracted by other people we're never too old for God to set us free we're never too old for healing to come whether it's physical healing or healing of our soul or healing of our spirit as we come into relationship with Jesus we're never too old if the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you in this this morning there's something there. I'm not going to ask you just while no one's looking around. Just respond to him. I'm not going to ask you to come up front, but there's, I've learned that there's something of us just saying, Lord, I hear. Whether it's been rejection or insecurity that God's wanting to set you free from, will you just say, Lord, I hear you. Just raise your hand. Put, put your hand up and down. Just Again, it's not for me. It's just for you to say, I'm hearing what the Holy Spirit's saying. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your healing. Thank you for your restoring. Thank you for your freedom. Now, Holy Spirit, would you just pour the love of God again? As you've been doing this morning, pouring your love, would you just pour again? Well, there's been hurt and rejection. That's not about adding more where people are embarrassed. It's just simply about coming boldly to the throne of grace and receiving grace to help. Holy Spirit, let's just finish with a song.